Welcome to Discover Healthier. Everything you need to know about health brought to you by Discovery Health. I'm Azania Musaka. You can join the conversation as we explore some of the most pressing matters in the healthcare environment today. A wide variety of topics and specialist guests will empower you to care for your health now and in the future. Have you ever felt sad or down? Maybe found it hard to concentrate or had excessive fear or worry? Ever had mood changes with highs or lows or significant tiredness and maybe even withdrawn from friends? Have you ever felt unable to cope with daily problems and stress or turned to substance abuse to get through a day? If you have concerns about your mental health, you're not alone. How do you know when it's time to reach out for help? It's not easy for people who suffer from mental illness to speak out and share their journey publicly. So kudos to two brave young women, Guguma Sondo and Dr. Nogukanya Kanyile, who decided that starting public conversations around mental illness and sharing their own struggles with depression and bipolar disorder would inspire others to share their journeys. They work to bring sympathy and compassion, understanding and support to mental illness. Well, on this very important conversation about mental illness, I'm joined by a really dynamic young woman, radiant, fashionable, absolutely gorgeous, and also the co-founder of Mental Matters, Gugu Masondo. Thank you for joining us here on Discover Healthier, Gugu. Um, it must not be easy, or maybe it is easy or has become easy for you to to talk about your mental illness. Um what is it? Which is it for you? So it has become a bit easier, um, but it just depends on the spheres of my life, which spheres you're referring to. From a work perspective, not entirely. They do know about my initiative and they do know what I'm doing about it, but they don't know what the it is. Mm. Um, because I also don't want to be like looked down upon. I think looking at the eventing series that we do do and also my personal stance on the matter of at work I want to be taken seriously. But now disclosing for me says that, okay, they will take me more serious as opposed to them thinking that I'm not equipped to actually do my job properly. Yes. And then there are other spheres where you feel much more comfortable. Yes, yes. Personal life with friends. All my spheres, it's it's something that I'm very uh, vocal about. It's something that I encourage people to talk about. And it's something that is, for me, it's a conversation starter more than anything. And not to get ahead of myself, but I think for me, everybody suffers from something. It's just, it hasn't disrupted your life enough for it to actually be diagnosed as anything. But I don't want to be like uh, that girl where everyone's like, oh, you like to see mental illness and everything that happens around you. Mm. So in other spheres, I'm more comfortable um, more than anything, because it's my lived experience. Absolutely. Um, and we'll delve into that. You know, there's so many interesting layers to someone's journey with mental illness. But I want to reflect on your Instagram post. Your bio says, a girl on the pursuit of happiness. Um, and there was also a recent post where you wrote, it's you, you're the light, you're the hero in your story. That's a powerful message. Yes. What do those words mean to you? I think... We live in a society where, and also my mother usually does this, where you think of, or what's this person doing? And more than anything, you have to like 
have like a view of life, like a straight view of life. Like not look at your left and look at your right. It's basically you're running your own race, like you're running it at your own pace. And if you look left and you look right, you're going to get hindered by everything that's happening on the side. So mm. it's it's basically you. You're the star. You're the lead actress, the lead actor. It's it's you. The you hero know? there to and rescue you yourself. You know what I mean? And the, nobody's going to do it better than yourself. Right. More than anything. And then on the pursuit of happiness, it makes reference to the movie and all the, the hardships that Will Smith, I forgot his character name, but mm. Will Smith went through. Chris Garner. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, everything that he went through and that, that moment at the end where it was all worth it, you know, it was all worth it and you go through struggles. And at the end of the day, I think it's worth it. At the end of every day, at the end of every hour, at the end of every week, it's a matter of, okay, cool, this has been my moment and I made it, mm. you know. Google, let's delve into your story. Uh, you grew up in Sekunda. Yes. In Mpumalang. Yes. When did mental health first introduce itself to you? Mental illness, I should say, first introduce itself In to retrospect, it was when I was 13. Mm-hmm. And I say this because obviously when it was happening at the time, I did not know what was going on. So yeah, at, what at 13 happened? years old. So what happened is that when I first started high school, that change, I think, triggered... An anxiety triggered depression, triggered something in me. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not actually quite sure yet. <laughs> but it triggered something in me, whereas I was, that was the first time I was incapacitated in the sense that I couldn't go to school, I couldn't eat, I couldn't wake up, and all the major signs of depression started to unfold at that moment. So I know I missed about three months of my first grade eight. And then every year thereafter. So it would, th- those feelings would come back from time to time. Yes, I think from grade 8, obviously grade 9, but the duration was a bit shorter. So it was first three months, then it was a month, then it was a few weeks. Then grade 10, that's when I was like, oh, you know, I know what, what I'm doing and I know what this is. So I think that's when the feelings of anxiety um, let me go, yes. for lack of a better word. You became familiar yes. with the visitors, yes. you said, would yes. come around. Yes, and I could manage them a bit better. And also my environment was something that was a trigger more than anything. The the In newness home. the newness of grade 8, when I think about it, the anxiety was so paralyzing that my body literally it just goes, hey, what up? I'm out. Mm-hmm. I'm not doing this anymore. What would you anymore. experience? I think nausea. Nausea is something I'd experience. Extreme fatigue is something I'd experience. I'd sleep a lot. Like I'd sleep all, the, oh gosh, I could sleep literally the whole day and the whole night mm-hmm. uh, without like feeling like, okay, this is enough. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Was there a particular narrative, you know, that was running through your mind? It was like a, oh my gosh, why is this happening? More than anything. Also, like now my parents are running around taking me to all these different medical practitioners to a point where they took me to psychologists, they took me to get a procedure done where they put a camera in my esophagus just to look into my stomach. They took me to every medical practitioner possible. And also, obviously, coming from a black family, they took me to church. Mm. What was the fear? What were, what were the theories? I'm sure they were just as 
equally confused about what's going on with their child. I think we've never had the conversation as to what their fear was, but for them being my parents and being very concerned and like caring and loving, mm. it was a matter of we need to sort this out and we need to sort it out very quickly. And then when there was no medical reason behind it or inverted commas, no medical reason behind it, um, it went to like demons and satanic behaviors and all that stuff. Thus it led to the church um, being in in the mix. So when did you then eventually get diagnosed? Were there more episodes that led to that? And how oh, challenging gosh. was the process of getting to an exact diagnosis? So as mentioned, uh, my first encounter was when I was 13. I think I got diagnosed when I was 24. Hmm. Yeah, so I think I was 24. And what would happen is the same thing that happened when I started grade 8 would happen when I started uh, varsity would happen when um, I did like extreme exams or there was like a shift in my life where there's a, a life-changing event that would happen uh, would happen at work when like things would get like incredibly stressful and subsequently at the end or at the end of my non-diagnosis what happened is that I, I personally went and I sought out a psychologist and I told her I was like dude I swear I have depression and and she was like, no, you don't. You just need to learn some interpersonal um, interpersonal skills and I'll teach you how to do it. And at that point, I know the nature of the beast. And I'm like, okay, you're, you're a professional, apparently. <laughs> so it was frustrating, clearly, from what yeah. you're saying, to not be able to be helped to get to an answer, yeah. to know what you're dealing with so that you can manage. Yeah. yeah. And I think I was, I'm afforded education more mm. than anything. And it's something that I have, it's in my sphere and you read up about certain things and you have conversations with people about certain things and you, you start noticing and you start seeing the signs and the symptoms. And that's when at some point, as much as they say Google, you shouldn't Google when you have like a sickness, it it's, it's, it triggers something. It ignites the ignites your world into awareness more than anything. So mm. it was extremely frustrating to have to take some time out um, of life because that's what I call it. When I look back, it's a matter of I took some time out from life every three months because I couldn't eat and I couldn't like wake up in the morning and I, I couldn't, I was tired mm. all the time and, and all that stuff. So it was frustrating having to live that life and having to live it so often, like for so long. So Gugu, take me through the process of getting diagnosed. How, how challenging was that or how straightforward was it? It wasn't straightforward. I think having had mentioned that it took uh, 11 years to actually get diagnosed, what happened is that one morning, and this is important for me or for my story, is that one morning I woke up and I, I literally physically couldn't get out of bed. And what the steps that I took thereafter was having to calculate how many steps it's going to take to get to the shower and how many steps it's going to take to get to the kitchen. And if I had enough energy to actually like put food together, not even mentioning actually eating the food, calculating how much energy is going to need for me to get to my car, uh, how much energy is going to take for me to get to traffic. And also after taking a shower, I, I took my steps to the shower. I took my steps back to my bedroom and I was exhausted. Um, and being exhausted as well, I now have to factor in the decision of actually getting dressed. 
getting dressed, it's not just a process of, okay, cool, I pull something out and I get dressed. It's more, I have to think of um, what am I going to wear? How am I going to look? How am I going to present myself on the day? And that in itself is something that one doesn't think of. And I had to think of, okay, what am I going to wear? And the only thing I had the strength to think of or to pull out of my cupboard was some joggers and like a hoodie. And note, I had a very important client presentation on the day. Mm. I wore my jogger and I wore my hoodie and I had enough courage and enough strength to actually get to my car and to drive to the presentation. Um, When I got there, obviously, fortunately, my manager had said that she would do it, but I got a very stern talking to from her in terms of this is a client presentation and that was the first time I had actually subsequently met the client. Mm. And as she was giving me this talk, I'm looking at her thinking you have no idea how much strength it actually took me to be here, Mm. to actually get out of bed and to actually wear the clothes that I'm wearing. And then, therefore, then that's when I went back to the office. And from the office, that's when my body literally checked out. And by checkout, I mean I had no energy left to go upstairs. I had no energy to actually continue my workday at all. So that for me, as much as it was one of my most challenging days, it was one of the best days of my life because that's when I got a name to what was going on. Mm. So a point come when you were able to name it, to be able to say, this is what I have. Yes, it came when, um, as I mentioned now, is that when I went to the psychologist and I said, okay, I think this was going on. Mm-hmm. But the penny dropped for me when there was a colleague of mine who was very open and vocal about her um, condition. And my my last rule before I actually like started the step or when I went to the doctor that said, okay, cool, that confirmed what I was telling everybody. <laughs> mm. She, like the, the lady was instrumental in saying, okay, cool, these are the numbers, go here, go here, go here. And eventually someone was like, you need to see a psychiatrist because it was bad. Mm. Um, I know I'm laughing and I'm giggling about it now, but it, it really was mm. um, very bad. And... The sort of support that you, th- when you look back, what kind of support do you believe got you through, helped you keep going? My parents. Mm. Mm. My parents, they're the constant in the story. Um, as much as they were not, they like, like I want to say they're typical black parents, but they are black parents that always wanted the best for their children come, uh, growing up and took us to like model, sco- model C schools, quotes and end quotes. So they have been the constant in my life. They have been the pillar of strength in my life. They have been literally the ones who every single every single year where my body would check out, they have been there um, and they're still in Sukunda. So coming from a two-hour drive, so now when I can't wake up in the morning, they have to drive two hours to come make sure, oh my gosh, are you okay? Is everything all right? Mm. So yeah, my parents are constantly... Um, <laughs> constantly there for me and constantly my strength. So, Gugu, you're also a member of the Discovery Health Medical Scheme. On your journey with mental illness, what has that medical sort of support meant? I think Discovery has um, played a very pivotal um, part of my recovery because what they do, I fall under chronic, um, so I'm under chronic illness benefits. What that means basically is that the funds don't get taken out of my day-to-day savings and they get taken out of 
somewhere where Discovery has a mine of gold and I appreciate it so much. And yeah, the support is immense. I get my medication on a monthly basis and it doesn't necessarily take out of my pocket over and above um, what I do pay uh, my monthly subscription. Let's talk about work because when it comes to work, the decision to disclose and who you disclose to um, can really impact on your journey with mental illness. How have you decided to approach this question? And how has your mental illness affected your work? My mental illness currently, because I am undergoing treatment, hasn't necessarily been affected, I think, because I am on medication on a day-to-day basis that assists on top of, obviously, my lifestyle and my my emotional well-being, my physical well-being and my spiritual well-being, I try to keep those balanced. So it hasn't affected my life. Therefore, I haven't felt the need to necessarily disclose. And as I said in the beginning is because I, I want to be taken seriously. I don't want people looking down on me and suggesting that I'm incapable of doing my job. I do have doctor's visits every uh, three months. And yeah, no one's asked any questions further to that. Mm-hmm. And yeah. They're very supportive. I think when you look at the events that I've had and getting sponsorship and also getting certain things that will enable the event to be a success, I have received from them. So they're very supportive Mm. as a company without prying too much or being in your face. We'll talk about mental matters in a moment, but your response suggests that you're afraid or think that there's stigma around having depression and people knowing you have depression. Most people obviously think, like, number one, we are shanya, you know, or you're being lazy or you don't necessarily take people seriously in terms of you're not taking your life seriously. And it's funny that you actually mentioned the word stigma because the eventing series basically is to try to stigmatize. Mm. Mental Matters was birthed after my second hospitalization in a psychiatric facility. So when I came out, it just dawned on me that people don't know uh, what mental illness is. Like, you know, once you, you go to like a psychiatric facility, obviously, but you're crazy and all these words get thrown at you because of lack of knowledge. So that's where it was birthed in terms of people are not saying the things that they're saying. It's because obviously there's not enough information that is provided to them for them to say something different. Mm. So I'm trying to change the narrative in terms of outlying. It's a matter of like there are certain chemicals in your brain that are either not getting released or getting released too much and all the other things that a professional doctor can actually elaborate on in terms of there's certain things that go amiss in mm. your brain. There's certain things that are either sometimes are triggered by substances, sometimes it's triggered by certain inv- events and environments. And then, yeah, then mental illness is diagnosed. Not necessarily that it was not there. It's just that it now brings itself to the surface. Mm. So mental matters, like I said, was birthed then. And what we try to do basically is to stigmatize um, mental illness and make sure that people are actually aware of the different types of mental illness that exist in society in the hopes of 
getting more knowledge in the hopes of teaching their community, in the hopes of maybe identifying something within themselves and actually taking the step to seek assistance um, and not to wait to not to wait for a place where now it becomes dire and severe, where a person can no longer rely on themselves and now needs extreme reliance or is now extremely dependent on those that are around them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and don't get me wrong, I'm not saying uh, support systems are not vital. I'm just saying as an individual, it's you, you mm. know, it's you, you're the hero. So if you can start the process and the steps of, okay, cool, this is what I need to do to get myself better. And then your support system can plug into that. And you tend to theme the conversations whenever you host the platform. What are some of the themes that you've brought to the fore? What are the areas that you've thought needed a little bit more uh, of a spotlight shone on them? The first event that we hosted last year was themed the mental conversation, as in the focusing on the men. Um, and all the speakers focused on topics that most prevalent to men more than on women. And ironically enough, as per most of our events, is that there is more attendance of females than there are of males. So it's a conversation that still needs to be drilled into the mind of the man. That was the first one. The last one that we hosted was called the mental wellness conversation is we don't want to just box ourselves in terms of just speaking about the mental illness and you have this and the symptoms of this and it's a matter of, okay, cool, you have been identified to have X, Y, and Z. So now how are you going to be an all-rounder in terms of your wellness? How do you keep your emotional wellness? How do you keep your physical wellness and your emotional? Um, It's more literally equipping people with the tools to actually make sure that, okay, I have this now, these are the steps I need to take in terms of actually getting myself better Mm. and in future in future we're doing the planning for 2020 so the first two events are going to be the young minds the mental mental matters the young minds conversation where we're going to be focusing on autism and adhd and the psychological effects of bullying the second event that we're going to be hosting is going to be the mature minds. So there's dementia um, and all those other mental illnesses that like target and hit uh, the older uh, mm. generation. So I think with everybody having parents and grandparents and also just like sometimes you're in your early 40s and you have dementia and most people don't understand. Um, I know in the townships it's more of ah, a resident who's just walking around and like they don't know where they live or their name or anything like that. Mm. So those are the first two themed events. We're still planning the third and the fourth event because our events happen every quarter. Mm. What do you think you're achieving? Well, we are educating Mm. um, society. We are, I think my, my thing always is that as long as I've touched you, I'm hoping that you touch another one because our events, we have about 100 to 150 um, people that attend. So that reach in itself, I'm hoping that the reach from those branches, those branches extend to other branches. And at the end of the day, the the telephone, uh, it's like a, a telephone where there's a broadcast message and then it funnels down, but eventually it does reach a lot of people who will also like be imparting whatever knowledge they have to um, their families and their um, structures. Mm. When, when, when you think of mental illness, um, it needs a community. As you said earlier on, it's important that the person who's suffering 
have a grasp and an understanding of their illness and know how to manage it. But it does require other people. So through these conversations, what would you like broader society, the loved ones of patients with mental illness, to know about the kind of support they need to to provide? I think listening is very important. Mm. Um, listening to your loved ones speak about their lived experience and not being judgmental when they do speak and tell you about what they're going through is very important. And I think sometimes the most important question is, how can I help you? Like, where can I plug in? As opposed to just trying to come up with these solutions. It's good to actively try to assist, but sometimes it's a matter of, okay, what do you need? And like, how can I plug in going forward? Mm -hmm. And obviously, um, being a confidant is important and being like uh, an accountability buddy, an accountability partner as a family member is very important. And yeah... What's been the hardest part of this journey? I think for me, that thing of, I wouldn't say you're told you're broken, but you are brought to the realization that you're not immortal. And I know, all of us know we're going to die, but sometimes when someone brings it now to the forefront that, hey, you know what I mean? Like, you're not perfect. Sometimes there's, a certain aspects of your life where you need assistance and there's nothing there's nothing perfect under the sun and you're literally being reminded. I'm an A-type personality, if that makes sense. So being told something like that is a hard pill to swallow. And yeah, I think that's been the most challenging part of it. That you're not invincible. Yeah, the, now I have to take medication. Now I have to go to a psychiatric facility to, quote, or inverted commas, get fixed. So you had to overcome your own barriers yeah. about mental My illness. My own stigma yeah. about mental illness and accept the fact that this is something that's happened in society. I think for me, I was more happy to actually have a name because I know towards the end it was, I just need a name. I need a label. Uh, and not a negative label, but I need a point a point where I can start. Because once you know what something is, you know how to fix it or you know where to get the the knowledge to actually like try and like overcome it. Mm. What's the biggest gift from your mental illness? It's self-awareness. It's being able to recognize what's going on in my mind, in my space, in my world, what I allow in, what I'm what I'm contributing to certain things. And I'm now aware when I do something that is deemed as wrong or that I know is wrong, I do it knowingly or I'm aware of the, the wrongdoings and my shortcomings uh, more as when I don't know the consequences and the repercussions and I know what implications they have on my life overall, what the implications they have at this moment, at the next moment, in the future, in looking at the future. Mm. So that has been one of one of the good parts of it because self-awareness is the best kind of awareness. You know the triggers. Yes. You, you can almost, what, anticipate that an episode is coming? I can identify, identify them, the signs. Um, and then start the active process of actually not falling into that hole again. Mm. I spoke to Litsiko Zulu. Uh, we were talking about mental wellness and she was relating her journey of dealing with the grief and some of the mental challenges of dealing with the grief after her husband Gugu passed away. 
And it was evident that changes have to happen. You have to start living differently, new habits, in order to to give yourself the best chance at at managing your mental illness. Have you had to make some adjustments and changes to how you live? I have. I think number one is is physical wellness. For mm. me, physical wellness has always been a challenge and also just making sure that I'm well, making sure that I'm aware of the things I put into my body in terms of eating, the rest part of it as well. Am I resting enough? Because that's also where you have to look in terms of are you getting adequate sleep? Are you putting in your body the things that your body needs? Are you spiritual or are you not? Are you physically active? Basically, it's literally taking care of yourself holistically mm-hmm. more than anything. So for me, I have had to make those amends because obviously, like as a 20-year-old, it's like YOLO, you know what I mean? You only live once, do everything, do everything in access, don't take care of your body, you know, you'll just see what happens and all that stuff. So I have had to make a few changes in my own life. Mm. So how important is medicine and therapy alongside the healthy living that you've just described for someone with mental illness? It's it's pivotal to your overall wellness. I admire those people that can actually change their lives or change their lifestyle to ha- help them deal with their mental illness without medication. I'm not for or against either um, two. It's a matter of whatever suits you and whatever works for you. And also, I want to stress the importance of having like a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Actually, to everybody, that's very important just to make sure that you, you have someone you check in with. And a family member is great. But at the end of the day, we all have our own things and you don't want to burden anyone else. But if you don't have that, you need to consult your close uh, close family and friends and just ask, uh, do you have the emotional capacity to assist me in this journey? And can I be accountable to you should I get to a point where life is not going so great and I'm, I'm not in a good place? Google, thank you very much. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for your openness and your willingness to share your journey with us. It's wonderful to have you here. But for those that don't follow your work or are not familiar with it, who is Dr. Nogukanya Kanyile? Thank you so much for having me, first of all. My name is, as you said, Dr. Nogukanya Kanyile. I'm currently working as a medical officer with a specialization uh, in pediatrics as an interest. But I also am the vice president of Mental Matters. And that is an organization that I started with my partner, Guguma Sondo, mm-hmm. in order to destigmatize mental illness, especially in young people, but especially definitely in young professionals. I feel as young people, we feel like we have to carry the world. We have to be hustlers. We have to not sleep. And all of the patterns that we've developed in order to do all of these things have pushed us into a point of breakdown. And we need to find how how to treat all of the things and the pressures that we come with in a healthy way so we can be better. I got to connect with your partner, Gugu, mm. and uh, she shared her journey, the journey that has brought her to mental matters. What's been your journey with and your experience with mental illness over the years? So I would say that it started all the way before I was even born. You know, I've had a family history of mental illness in various forms. Mm. But the first time that I really came into it was when I was 
during the period of a young child when my parents got divorced and I wasn't able to deal with all of that stress and I blamed myself a lot. I blamed different family members and ended up going through a period where I became suicidal and had ideations and even an attempt. So I've been there. And so when people say to me, I don't want to live anymore, I can understand what that feels like. Mm. For me, mental health is something that I've taken very seriously because I know how it feels and I know how deep the hole can get. And so since then, you know, even going through high school, I saw that because I wasn't dealing with it, a lot of the patterns would repeat. The relationships I would have, the problems I would have, all the way to when I started varsity and working as a medical professional, going through burnout and also, you know, a lot of acute stress disorders that I would go through either because of relationships that broke down, um, patients or situations on calls that I wasn't able to deal with. And so it got to a point where my body was not even coming to the party anymore. And it was really important as not just a medical professional to give people this advice and take my own advice, but just be able to function so that yeah. I could do my job well and to be myself well. That was mm. very important to me. So how would you then describe your mental disorder? Mm-hmm. Because there is a spectrum. There are uh, expressions of our mental disorders that express in ways that need clinical diagnosis. And then there are times when it's everyday life. So I've never been formally diagnosed with a disorder because um, as some people may or may not know, you need a certain period of time and you need particular dysfunction in certain areas of your life. So I think I've had a very good support system around that was able to catch me before I became too dysfunctional. Having said that, the diagnosis doesn't mean that there's not a lot of problems that come before. So my journey started initially with realizing that I was in a bad space. I was tired all the time. I was crying all the time. I was really fighting with the people in my life. And I mean, that's something that can happen to anyone any day. But it got so severe that I was isolating myself. I didn't want to see people anymore. And I started not liking work. Now, anyone who follows me on social media knows how much I love my job. And so that's one of the first couple of things that I start noticing. I'm really needing to pull back when I see that my work is not giving me joy anymore and I'm really feeling disconnected from the joy from that it brings me. It's also just a physical thing where I wasn't caring about my health anymore. I was eating whatever I wanted, drinking whatever I wanted, not taking care of my activity and things like that. So because of that, I think the mental health journey for me has been up and down, but progressively up because I've been able to catch myself before I went too deep into the hole. And a lot of people don't understand that just because you're not diagnosed with a disorder doesn't mean that you don't have a whole journey that you still have to get through to keep yourself healthy. Right. I'm curious about this catching yourself idea. Mm. Um, It suggests a lot of self-awareness and it also suggests knowing the triggers in your environment and even changes in your perception and behavior. Exactly. How does that express for you? What are those triggers that say, oh, something's going on? So for me, if I had to look at the way that I would present, I tend towards more of a burnout, depressive type of um, picture. I'm not necessarily more manic and more psychotic in that way. But for me, my eating habits change. You know, sometimes you're stressed and you just feel like a good chocolate will do good. I get stressed every four days because I do calls and you know you have 24 hours, sometimes even 30 hour calls and 
when I find that I just want to eat everything and I don't care about, you know, what's going to happen and who's going to say what. Secondly, when I don't want to train with my trainer. Again, I love training with my personal trainer, Watson, or I love just exercising, going to do yoga, anything like that. So when I'm not in the mood to even do that, mm -hmm. then I know, okay, I need to reflect. And, and what do you do? So the first thing I would do is really sit down with myself. And I mean, it's so hard to do this because you don't want to acknowledge that there's something you have to change because you get so comfortable. And I get very comfortable in my routine of dysfunction sometimes. Just waking up whenever I want to, eating whatever I want to, not having to think about the complications and the implications of that. So really just sitting down with myself, putting on a good gospel album. Like Marvin Sapp is my man. Like He gets <laughs> me to that place. And he really makes, his music really makes me think, okay, God, what do I need to find perfect peace? That's one of the songs he has, perfect peace. And sitting down and writing out all the things that I'm really stressed about, even if it's on my phone or in a book, and saying, this is what I need to cut out. This is what I need to do. This is how I need to do it. And focusing on that just today. Not saying, okay, for the next month, this is what I'm going to do. Just focusing on it just today. And if I'm successful today, trying again tomorrow mm -hmm. and building small little steps. I think that's the other thing that I get caught up. I'm, I get very overwhelmed very quickly considering yeah. how much I do. So small steps for me are important. Mm. And so that's one of the big things I do. So your faith, your faith clearly plays a big role in mm. getting back on track. Oh, yes. I love my God and I love what he's done for me. And the other thing I love about it is I'm never alone. Even though I'm physically on my own. Because in the world of medicine, it can be very lonely. The world of mm -hmm. social media can be so lonely. And you're trying to study, you're trying to work, you're trying to inspire people. You can feel very overwhelmed and just feel like you don't know how you're going to do it all. And so I love the fact that I always know that, number one, God is in control of what it is that happens to me. All I have to do is just do the actual thing. So wake up in the morning, go to my job, Go to the podcast series with Lasagna. Chat to whoever I need to chat to and inspire people by doing my own normal activities. And I think people don't realize how powerful your own activity on your normal day can be because you want to now be this incredible, inspirational person and say all these great things. But then when you go home, are you actually doing that for your own life? So by God having that control over everything around me, I just... It takes away a burden for me. Mm -hmm. And when you have mental illness, you feel like you have the weight of the universe, not just the world, the universe on your shoulders. So to know that that firstly is lifted off my shoulders, but also secondly, I always have someone who knows every bit and every part of me and they love me for it. It's taken a while for me to get here, to know that God loves me in all ways because I don't even love me in all ways. You know? I mean, I've been looking at it and I'm just like, girl, are you sure you want to wear that today? <laughs> and I think it's really important to have that sense of self-assurance, to know that God knows who I am. He loves me for who I am. There's nothing I can do to hurt him. And it's my responsibility to say, you know what? Yeah, man, I'm your child. And you love me and you want me to do the best thing. So I just want to make you proud. Right. Mm. Um, you also actively promote the need and the importance of physical activity, not just your spirituality, but of physical activity mm. in managing and in walking this mental illness journey in a much stronger way. Mm. 
what is the running, the yoga, the trainer, time with your trainer? And I'm sure even from a medical perspective, of course, you know what it's doing in the body. But how has it contributed to managing and coping? So if we just go into the physicality of it, you know, when you have an exercise routine or you have an increase in your heart rate, you release stress hormones that are good for your body. So you have things like cortisol, dopamine, the happy hormone that everybody knows about, and endorphins, you know, that make you feel good. And so the longer you exercise for over a longer period of time, not just one day, but, you know, months or years, you tend to have a baseline of function that's higher because you have more happy hormone in you. You're also, because you're constantly releasing that stress hormone, your body gets used to that level of stress. So when things happen in your life, physically, you're able to deal with it better. You're not as exhausted and overwhelmed by that. Your brain functions at a higher level in a high-stress situation. And that's important for a doctor because, I mean, I'm on calls and I have to stand sometimes 12, 13 hours in a row. So I need to be physically strong to be able to deal with that. But also, you know, it's an emotional job. So I need to know when this baby or this is happening, this chaos, am I emotionally going to be able to deal with it? For me personally, I love winning. And I don't think that I know anyone who doesn't like winning. <laughs> so when my trainer says, do those 20 squats, and I do those 20 squats this time, and then next month I do those 20 squats with 10 kilograms, and I go up in my weight, I can see my body getting stronger because, you know, your body changes. But I also feel a little bit of accomplishment, like, yes, you gave me the thing to do. I did it. You know, it was hard. <laughs> and, you know, I always laugh at Watson and I post sometimes there'll be workouts where I don't say a word to him because I'm just so upset about the fact that he's making me do this. <laughs> and it's so hard, but I get it done. And there's a sense of accomplishment that I've done this thing. Nobody else can give you that feeling. Because, you know, when you go to work, you work so hard to please your boss and they never. But in the workout. I did that. And that little bump up is a self-esteem booster that like takes you to the top floor. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So you have this matrix of things that that complement your lifestyle, the spirituality, the physical activity. But what about support? Mm. Earlier on, you mentioned that you've had incredible support. How has your family come to your rescue in the past the one person i think god definitely needed me to have in my life is my mom Mm -hmm. because my mom is the sound of peace through all the chaos that i've had and i'm very blessed to have her she's always provided clarity even if i didn't want to hear it she's given me advice even when I hated hearing it. She's given me guidance and she's given me support. There were days when I would come home from, you know, a call um, and I would just walk in and she'd be sitting on the couch and I would just run into her arms and just cry. And sometimes she wouldn't ask anyone, what's happening? Are you okay? She just knew. And sometimes you need that person who just understands you to be able to allow you to have whatever you have, do whatever you do, and then go off and be fine, you know? Mm. The second thing is, I think just my family in general, my sister, my my dad, my stepmom, my brothers, they provide so much joy in my life because we're just so fun and so bubbly and we interact so well. And then if I extend that to my friends, sure, my friends, I've gone through a period of many friends. And I think the one thing, and I think God helped me do this a lot, was discerning who was necessary who was important at that moment in time and who was just there for the season. 
And I think the older people get in there, the more I go through friendships, a lot of people will tell me, I'm very glad you let go of that one because I... Mm-hmm. They, they weren't good And I'm like What do you mean We were such great friends And they were like No they weren't good for you You know And only looking back I can understand why So the support That I've had From my friendships Is incredible And I call them my wives Because we're the same person We are all one You know We do so much We talk about so much They push me Intellectually But also Because we're all In the same kind of realm We're able to push each other In a way that says I'm doing this, but I'm an entrepreneur. This is my lane. I'm doing this. I'm a medical doctor. This is my lane. And we support each other in that. Not competing in any way, but just saying, where do you need help? I cut your back. And do you need a break? Let's go. You know? Yeah. yeah. Oh, you found a way to make this work for you. And speaking of friends, Google came across a talk that you had given. Mm. Um, and you're now partners in this journey on mental matters. What do you do? What is mental what is mental matters all about? So Mental Matters is an organization that aims to destigmatize mental illness mm-hmm. in youths. Did you ever feel the burden of mental illness? Definitely. The stigma of mental illness? Definitely, because I hate always using this comparison, but I'm very small and I'm very loud and I'm very friendly. So when people see me having a bad day, they assume that I'm moody, I'm going through a mood swing, or who do you think you are? Like, you can't just come through here and like be like this and be so bubbly and then suddenly change your mood. So mental illness, because of the swings that you can have, just based on what you are going through, I think it's important, number one, to understand who you are at your baseline. Because When you're trying to live up, especially in entertainment, I think, when you're trying to live up to a persona, people get lost in that and then it's very difficult to maintain it. And that's when the the mood swings and the ups and downs become very evident. The second thing is because we have so much to do as young people, we want to study, we want to work, we want to start a new business, but we also want to be having a good body and we have to eat right and we have to start a YouTube channel. You know, that's exhausting. (laughs) It sounds exhausting just listening. It's so tiring. And so when you don't understand who you are at your base Mental illness definitely creeps in because it uses your insecurities. It uses your fears. It uses who do you think you are in the space. And it maximizes your insufficiencies in those areas. So when you understand what you're meant to do, who you are, mental illness becomes less likely so that when life's challenges come at you, when that opportunity for the YouTube channel comes through, you say, not right now. I need to focus on X, Y, and Z. And... I think we're so caught up in wanting to do everything and be everything at such a young age because we want to leave a legacy and we want to be able to say, I did this. We're just going to run ourselves into the ground. And nobody understands that being a master of one is incredibly important because you have to be good at this. Some people are good at doing a lot of things, but as a, as a society in general, we are actually the future. And if we don't know our power and where it holds in our own individual settings, we're going to run into problems because then we're going to have a society that's just all over the place. Mm-hmm. So you facilitate, you allow mm. for these conversations around what's going on in the minds of young people to Definitely. be shared openly on your platform. Yes. So I, I 
bring the medical information aspect to the yeah. um, organization. And Google brings a lot of the experience. You know, as a medical professional, I can write a script. I can tell you to see a social worker, an occupational therapist, and a um, physiologist or anyone who's going to help you deal with your mental illness. But as someone... And she's given me so much insight as someone who actually has to go and do all those things, take time out of their life. You know, I lose a lot of that insight. And so what I enjoy about the formats that we have is it's just half a day in the mornings. We do provide a lunch because food is very important. And we give medical professionals, people who have experienced mental illness and people who just have really great stories to share to help other people going through a similar thing or even someone who might not mm. even be able to have that insight to say oh when I prescribe this the epilim that someone takes actually makes them very sleepy they're unable to function at work they need long hours what other medication do I have to think about prescribing as a medical professional or when the doctor says you need to stay on this medication for six months but I feel fine how do we bridge the two and bring the two into a multidisciplinary approach so that we can optimize our health and manage the illness in a way that it doesn't become dysfunction mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You use social media, of course, to create these conversations, to talk to people about what they need to recognize in themselves, mm. what you have been through, what Google has been through. Uh, but as you said, it's got the, there's also the pitfalls because it starts to be demanding and then it becomes a vicious cycle where that demand then precipitates exhaustion mm. and that exhaustion brings about uh, those negative emotions. And so what lessons have you learned then since knowing these various faces and various sides of social media and how it impacts on your life and just your sense of well-being. So social media has changed my life incredibly. I've been able to connect with people in ways Mm -hmm. that I would have never been able to just in a physical, you know, realm. Knowing your boundaries is very important. Not just on social media in terms of what you can say and what you can do, but also in your life in terms of when you use it, what you use it for. And so one of the things that I started noticing, as you're saying, people would ask me, you know, I'm going through this. What can I do? I'm doing this. What can I do? The reason I put mental matters on my profile is so that people can click on that link because we have so much information where people can tap into. They can get links to SADAG. They can get links to um, organizations that provide these services Mm -hmm. so that they're able to reach that help. When people send me direct messages, as a medical professional, if it's an emergency, I'm obligated to deal with it. And that can be exhausting. So I tend to, if I'm not following you directly, you know, it goes into a separate account and I don't really go into those um, DMs. Mm -hmm. Not because I don't think people in that space are very important, but because there's like thousands of people. I mean, I have 108,000 followers and so many DMs. It would definitely like destroy my soul to go through some of the messages that I get if I go through them every day and I do them regularly. So I do, like you were saying, refer people a lot to the help that they can get. But I minimize my time with with social 
um, media. I make sure that when I'm with my family and friends, hey guys, I, you know, here's Mama Bay, you know, we're here, put the phone down and the phone doesn't come out until, okay, we're leaving now. And people think that I post a lot, so I'm on my phone a lot and it's not true. I mean, I do post when I get there, but that's six hours that I'm sitting, you only see three stories, which is 45 seconds. The rest of the time, my phone is away and I focus. I make sure I stay and I do what um, I need to do at that moment. And a lot of people don't understand that about social media. It's a tool, but it's not a lifestyle. And we need to make sure that we make and that differentiation. Mm. Mm. What's the best way to support someone if you think they they need help? What's the And especially if you think that they are on this journey of mental illness. Mm. So I love that question because it depends on the person and it mm. depends on your relationship. Mm. I think the most important thing is both parties must understand that there's this issue that needs to be dealt with. And they must understand and have the same idea about what it means. So for example, depression for someone who's very spiritual could mean you just need to pray about it. Depression for someone who's actually going through it may mean, what do you mean just pray about it? So you have to kind of get to a baseline of understanding what it means for the person who's going through the illness. Ask the question, you've got depression, what does that mean to you? Because I know the diagnosis, I know that I can go and read it up. I know the signs you're having, but what signs do you have? I think the second thing is ask them what they want from you. Because it's difficult to say, whatever you need, I'm here. Because you must also realize whatever you need is a broad term. And you as a person who's watching someone go through this also has your own limits. You also have your own life. Right. And you have to also determine what your boundaries are for mm. this person. So say, what is it that you need from me? And communicate that to me as often as you need to. Mm. But please understand that there are also going to be times where I can't. And it doesn't mean that I don't love you. It doesn't mean that I don't care about you. It just means at this moment, I can't. And a lot of people feel guilt when someone who's going through something says, I need you, friend, come now. You're like, I've got a presentation tomorrow. I can't come now. Like, oh my God, please don't hurt yourself or something, you know. Mm -hmm. You need to understand both of you and have that conversation. It's such a difficult thing because they're afraid of the tears and they're afraid of the fights. Fight if you have to, but constructively. Don't make it personal. Make it about, I want to help you. How, can, how do you want me to help you? Mm -hmm. And I think the third thing is understanding the options that are available. Because... Yes, people, some people do take medication. And it's important to know that medication is not the be-all and end-all of the treatment of mental illness. Psychology and sitting down with someone who's going to help you talk through the problems you're having. Not because they're going to tell you what to do, yeah. but because they're going to listen to your, like, and, and someone used the analogy of a ball of wool. They take that ball of wool and then they make it straight rows so that you can actually see, oh, this is the extent of the problem. Yeah. This is what I need to do. This is the journey. And they help you take that information and put it orderly so that you're able to deal with it mm. and be more manageable about it. Um, the second thing is things like social work and family meetings. Family meetings and friendship <laughs> meetings. People don't understand that. And when you are dealing with someone who has been diagnosed or is going through mental illness, you need to understand that you could be part of the problem, but not necessarily in the way that you think. But you also need to prepare that you might be the cause. And this happens sometimes with relationships with parents, mm -hmm. um, 
especially where there was abuse involved. It happens with relationships between spouses and even, you know, with your best friend. You know, they may have done something to you that may have pushed you over. And big life changes. You may have to call a boss in who fired you and have them talk to you about that. And that's very embarrassing to do. But it's important to understand that it's a multidisciplinary approach. Mm -hmm. And there's so many facets so that you must know that when this person is coming to you and telling you this diagnosis, they're coming to you with all of that sitting in the back of their head. Yes. And it's overwhelming. And for you to then say, no, but friend, you should be doing it this way. This is what my mom or my grand did, grandmom did. It's not your life. It's theirs. And allow them to do it. Two people experience mental health and illness very differently. And you should allow them that process. So ask them and communicate. I love the picture that you've painted in the sense that it's beyond medicine and therapy and thinking that that's where it ends. It's actually a life of piecing together, you know, and understanding the things that have happened to us, but also piecing together what you need to reorganize mm. and to get onto a path that allows your life to thrive. Definitely. I think, you know, one thing I enjoy about um, Western societies and the way that they raise families is that they talk about things from the time children are very small. Kids can say no and they say, why? You know, and they, they are answered. Whereas in societies that are a lot more um, African or um, Eastern in terms of Asian, it's I'm the parent, this is the law, until you leave my house, this is how it's going to be. And also in the way that we view relationships, no boys, no boys, no boys, no boys, when are you having kids? And you're like, hold on, you didn't give me the tools to deal with a relationship with a man. Mm. You didn't deal with, you know, how do I have a healthy communication between family members that doesn't involve shouting? You didn't give me the tools that I need to speak to authority in a way that's going to get me to a progressive state. And so I think if, you know, therapy is very difficult to attack in a way that you want to put everything together in six months. But this is a whole 27-year-old. Yes, it was 27 years in the making. Mm. Mm -hmm. And you want to now fix it in six months. It's going to take time. And we need to allow ourselves to feel. When you have an experience of a breakup, and I was using this We're example with that. my mom. We're scared of that because it might reveal things. So what? Mm. Let it reveal. <laughs> I was using the example of, when I broke up with someone and I was in an internship, I was like, I've got this, I'm okay. But at three o'clock in the morning without fail, I would wake up and go into my mom's bed and cry. And then six o'clock, I have to go to work. And for the next breakup, I said, no, I'm going to cry. So for two days, I sat at home, cried myself <laughs> into like, the, my mom was like, are you still alive? I'm like, yes. And then my friends came over and it was chocolate and it was, oh my gosh, friend, I'm so sad. And I know, friend, but you can find yourself a better man. And I did. But I took those two days and I said, I'm dealing with this. It's going to happen. I mean, I have to I had to go to work and stuff, so I can cry at work. But I let that happen. And because you you move that emotion out of you, people forget that that movement in your, in your heart, the feeling that you get in your gut, you have to do something about that. Yeah. So if you try to keep it in, it's going to want to come out. Let it out and do it in ways that are constructive and healthy. So if you have a lot of anger on your heart, maybe don't go to the person you're angry at. Talk to someone else like a psychologist. Um, if it's someone at work, talk to their senior first so that you're not necessarily angry and bitter, but you can then focus 
have someone put that ball of wool into a nice orderly pattern and you can give it to the person in a better way. We need to deal and we're just so busy and we're hustling and YouTube channeling and ah, the face beats got to be on point that we don't deal. <laughs> I want to talk to um, the work side of it. Mm. Being a doctor comes with a lot of responsibility. You get to see society and people at the most vulnerable. And often it's also due to the social ills that prevail in our society. So the world's burdens, the, the problems with humanity are ever-present. So what impact does that have on your mental wellness? So I work with children a lot. And when you work with children, you don't just see the children, but you see their families because their moms go through so much to get them here. And so it's incredibly exhausting emotionally because I know that there's a child coming in with malnutrition. And the reason they are malnourished is because mom doesn't have money, because mom, you know, has all these social problems that she had to deal with. So I know even if I treat that child today, I'm going to send them back into a system that's going to fail them over and over and over again. And that just, there's a feeling of hopelessness and despair. Having said that, there's also an inherent hope that I have because if I can change the way I communicate with this mom now, she won't be afraid to seek help. If I make it a good thing that she comes and gets help from a healthcare center like where I work at the hospital, she's going to want to be more willing to bring other kids that I can help. Because at the end of the day, when I talk to one mom, and the way that our society works, she just doesn't care, take care of her child. She takes care of the, the neighbor's child and the backroom neighbor's child and then her auntie's you know, niece or nephew that comes along. So I'm helping to change communities. And a lot of medical professionals don't realize that because you're so overwhelmed. It's physically exhausting. You are doing long calls. You're fighting with people all the time because there's no resources. They are also tired. They are burned out. You are burned out. You've trying to not cry every minute of the day um, and you're eating just badly because you don't eat for 12 hours because you're so busy and then you eat whatever you can find which is probably like slop chips or a burger or whatever and then you go back and you just don't exercise because you're just tired all the time so physically it's exhausting and so for the families and the people that I come into contact with the one thing I can give them is my energy and that is not always at the peak. But when I talk about energy, I don't mean like tiredness or that. I talk about my smile, the way I talk to them, the way I play with the kids. Um, because they don't forget that. They like, and it's so fun because some people will always go, you know, there was that doctor. She was that one that was angry and shouting versus it's the loud doctor. Everyone knows me. I'm the loud doctor in the ward. And so be very careful as a medical professional about your energy. Your energy levels up and down might go, might change depending on your post-core or pre-core. But your soul with your patients, if you're there for the right reasons, and I mean, there's very different reasons that people are there. But if you're there for the right reasons, that will come through. And people will see that. And I speak about it as God shining through me. But other people have different interpretations of that. Right. What is shining through you to your patients? What are they seeing? Because that is going to also set a baseline for your mental health. If the sisters and the doctors that you work with know that you're really like active and busy, they're going to want to help you. But if you're just always complaining and you're always nagging, you're not a pleasant person to work around. I'm not going to want to help you all the time. You know, So be aware of that as a medical professional or anyone in any setting really. 
Where to for mental matters? So we've got a lot of activities planned. One of the big things that people don't realize is things like bullying are spoken about, but not really unpacked. We know cyberbullying, excuse me, is something that a lot of people go through. We know bullying at schools is killing children and causing them to go into mental illness and minimizing their success in life. So we're really wanting to talk about that more. We're also going into things like relationships. How do we improve our own mental health using the relationship as a source of strength? Because I think, you know, they have the great saying of you need to be good on your own before you invite someone else into that energy. Yeah. But now some people are already married. Now now I'm stuck. <laughs> what do I do? <laughs> so what do how do we improve our mental health and how do I deal with someone who's actually like having mental illness in a relationship? Because I love them, but their mania is they're causing us to go into debt, et cetera, et cetera. And then I think another important one is how do I deal with a coworker who's going through mental illness? Because it's easy for me to take the time and me to do the things I need to work on myself. But I'm fine now. Now this coworker is always like taking time off. They're always sick. They're having mood swings, et cetera. What are the laws around that? And also, what are our relationships? What are our perceptions about that? Can we even raise it with them in the office? Am I allowed to know that this person has a mental illness? So it's really like tricky, soft things that I really love going into because I like making people uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. um, I like being uncomfortable because when I don't have the answers, that's when I learn but the most. But addressing the realities. Exactly. Just, not just taking it at a top level, but really drilling into the details of life with mental illness. Yeah. I want to wish you well, all the best with mental matters. <laughs> Thank you. The more we talk about this, the better, the more society will heal. So... A great job you're doing. Thank you very much. And thank you to Google for all of her incredible insights. She is such a great partner. And I can never discount the impact she's made, not just on my life as a person, but also on my skills and my practice as a medical professional. Thank you, Dr. Kanyele. If you've enjoyed listening to this podcast, you will definitely enjoy our episode on maintaining your mental well-being. Listen out to hear our experts share top tips about those simple lifestyle habits that keep your mental health in check for life. We also speak to two very brave women, Letitia Duplessis, about what it takes to maintain mental well-being in the face of mental illness, and to Letitia Zulu about how her healthy lifestyle kept her going after she lost the love of her life, husband Gugu, on Kilimanjaro three years ago. Thank you for listening to this episode of Discover Healthier, brought to you by Discovery Health. Join the conversation on social media with the hashtag Discover Healthier and tag at Discovery underscore SA. You can subscribe to our podcast channel, Discovery South Africa, on your favorite podcast app or visit discovery.co.za to listen to our shows.